Father, we do just lift up this time tonight, and I do pray, God, that you would bless this time, especially as we think about, Lord, we are celebrating our salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for coming and taking our sin and giving us the freedom from sin and the freedom to know you. And I pray tonight as we just kind of go back and look at, at uh, just that, that day, that night, that afternoon, things going on, Lord, that it would just speak to our hearts. And we would get that greater understanding of the depth of your love for us and your care for us. And I pray, again, we wouldn't just read a story, but we would understand this is the history of our salvation. And so give us ears to hear, be blessed, or, or bless us during this time. And we pray that it would bless you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to pick this story up in verse 26. Jesus has had multiple trials, the false trials, back and forth going on. They've convicted him. Pilate has sentenced him to die and to go to the cross, washed his hands of it. All of that stuff has gone on. And I think, listen, I think Jerusalem is in an upheaval. Although they don't always record that, but stuff is going on. And then we get to the crucifixion, and here's the thing. A lot of times people want to focus a lot on that. If you read your Bible, here's what it says. And he was crucified, and it moves on. The Bible doesn't go into all of those details and, and you know, all the medical things and all the things sometimes we go into that I think we can kind of lose track because the scripture's all about not so much the crucifixion itself, but what did the crucifixion cause and what happened with that. That's our salvation. And so they move directly to the effect of it rather than to the details of it. And yeah, the details are interesting and it's interesting to study some of the you know, current writings from different doctors and things that they said went on. But here's the ultimate thing. It's not so much the physical that Jesus went to the cross for. It's the spiritual and the fact that he set us free. So I want to pick it up here in verse 23, and it tells us this in, in, in Luke 23, I'm sorry, verse 26. Luke tells us this. Now, as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain uh, man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and, uh, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Have, I, I always think that's kind of an interesting thing that happens. Here's this guy from North Africa. That's where Cyrene was in Libya. He's from North Africa, made this journey to Jerusalem for the Passover. Remember, they're celebrating the Passover. And he had done this, and, and this was something huge for a Jew. I, I know they were supposed to go, but they couldn't always make it. And man, when they would get there, it was, a, it was a huge thing. Imagine the anticipation in this guy's heart. I'm in Jerusalem. I get to celebrate the Passover. And he's all excited, and then all of a sudden, these guys grab him and throw a cross on him and tell him to do this. That would be a little bit disturbing, right? That would, like, ruin your day. Now, here's what I love, though. Later on, we can read, it tells us, it tells us that he had two sons. I think, I think I was going to say Luke, but I think it's Matthew. It says he had two sons, Alexander and Rufus. When Paul writes his letter to Rome, he ends it, and he says to greet Rufus. 
I think that was one of Simon's sons. And I think this, listen, I think this impacted his life. And sometimes we need to understand something. Things can come and disrupt our plans. Have you ever had that happen? And something that just train wrecks something you were so looking forward to, and it comes and it just like blows it apart, and you're upset, but then years later, you look back and say, thank you, God. Thank you for doing that. And that's Simon. Listen, so, so Simon's carrying the cross, and they're going, and then it tells us, it gives us a little bit more. This is in verse 27. And a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who, uh, women who also mourned and lamented him. So now he's got a crowd. So obviously, here's what this is letting us know. Not everybody in Jerusalem was pro-crucifying Jesus. There's a lot of people kind of upset at what the Sanhedrin is. Just like we get upset that the Supreme Court does some things, right? Some things we like what they do. Some things we don't like what they do. But here's what's going on, man. They're not happy with this. So there's this crowd following him. And again, that's why I think it was a little chaotic. I don't think it was as calm as sometimes we think it. Or, or you know, even in our minds we pretend. And then these women are wailing. So they're making a deal out of it, right? Now, I don't know about you guys, but you're on your way to die, and you got some people like, could you just tone it down, right? I'm facing this thing, and you're being kind of, you're being loud and a little obnoxious. Just dial it back a bit, and we're going to be okay. So Jesus, this is how Jesus tells them to dial it back. Listen to what he says in verse 28. But Jesus turning to them said, daughters of Jerusalem... Do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren, women, barren wombs that never bore and the breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to you or to this mountain, fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the grain, uh, when, when the green, if they do these things in the green wood, what will they do in the dry? Here's what Jesus is saying. You guys are about to face something. You have no idea what you're going to face. And when he's talking about the green and the dry, right now it's a green time. It's a good time. Jesus is there. What's going to happen after he leaves? It's going to get dry. And in 40 years, they're going to, listen, it, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And that's what he's letting them know. Don't wait for me. What is coming your way because I've been rejected, this is what's going to happen. And so he gives them this warning and, and kind of admonition to think about what's going on. And sometimes here, sometimes we get caught up in the wrong thing, right? We get kind of caught up in something and we don't see the spiritual things behind that. And I think that's important. We need to, at times, we need, to, we need to think about what's going on spiritually and not so much what's going on physically in my, wife so I, in, in my life so I can, you know, be bummed about it, but what's going on spiritually? Don't you wish there would be times where we could rip open the veil, so to speak, and, and look into the spiritual realm? Just in this room, what's going on? The battles, the different things that are happening in that spiritual world. And wish you could see that and wish we could understand God is working his plan. Everybody right now in this scene is feeling destitute, abandoned. Everything that could go wrong went wrong 
with this whole idea of this guy named Jesus. And so he's on his way to be crucified. I think they're trying to process that somewhat. And then verse 32 says, and there were two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. Now, you gotta, I got to imagine sometimes what was going on with these guys. And we know, we've, you know, I've read ahead. I know that, that they know they were criminals. But just think, like, it was, I think, an everyday thing that they would crucify people. This wasn't just Jesus. This is how they executed people and executed criminals. And these two guys are going, and I think normally you would go through maybe the town carrying your cross, and you would walk through, and not, there's not much ruckus or anything because you're criminal. Nobody cares, right? Nobody's paying attention. And now this day, there's all of this stuff going on, and you've got this big crowd following. You've got women weeping and wailing and different things. And so Luke just brings up, here's these two criminals. Say, you got three guys going to be executed, not just one, but three of them. There had to be stuff working in their minds, and I did read ahead, and especially in one of their minds, the Holy Spirit is working amazingly. So, listen, so they bring up the two criminals, and then it tells us in verse 33, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right hand and the other on his left. So now we have that whole idea of, you know, the new King James, the King James used the word Calvary. Other places and brought up at other times and other translations call it the place of the skull. And that was the name of, of the hill. And whether it looked like a skull, when we go to Israel, you can lo- kind of look at it and you can, and, and this one place we go to the, the uh, garden tomb, there's a hill that kind of looks like a skull. Now, here's the thing. They, they make a big deal out of it. Now, you can see if you look at it. And you can see it does look like a skull. But the, for the years I've been going, the nose has fallen off. So here's what I'm thinking. I've only been going there maybe 20 years. What did it look like 100 years ago? Come on. Every time I hear that story, I think, ah, I don't think that's a good story to tell, especially after the nose falls off, you know? And it's just changed quite a bit. It's changed over the years. Now, even now, it's a little bit harder to imagine what it looked like. This, I think it was called the, the skull, not because of the shape of the mountain or what was going on. I think it was because people went there to be executed. And that was the place where they were executed. And I, maybe that's where it got its name. Now, again, other places call it the skull. It's interesting, the Latin Vulgate went from the word where we get cranium from, the Greek word. And they called it Calvaria, which then got translated by the New King James, the only two that do it is New King James and King James call it Calvary. Our church, Calvary Chapel, we could call it Skull Church. Because <laughs> that's, what, that's what it literally is called. And one of the young guys did that for a while and called his church uh, one of the uh, midweeks. He called it Skull Church. But listen, that's what's going on. So here's the thing. It was a place that people knew. And they knew the skull, and they knew the place of the skull, and that's where they crucified people. So they take Jesus, and there are the guys, and notice how Luke does this, and all the others, listen, it says, it says, and there they crucified him. 
And that's all it says about it. Doesn't get into the details, doesn't get into all of the drama that we kind of like to put in there. And I understand, but shouldn't we focus more on what's going on spiritually than physically? Jesus died physically, but that's not what saves us. It's the fact that he took our sin upon him. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting to do that. And, you know, you can read. I, I wrote down one of the books that you can find. There's a book uh, that is called the Physical, On the Physical Death of Jesus Christ, written by a couple MDs and stuff. And uh, you can find that. Oh, this was a journal of the American Medical Association. So maybe you can't get that. But you can find, you can find writings. You can Google stuff, right? You can go on chat GBT and ask it what it was like and then it will tell you and print it all out. But hey, it's not that. It's not all of those details and excruciating pain. and All of that's there. And I think all of that is there for one reason. So we could understand the suffering that went on spiritually for our behalf was so intense compared to the physical suffering that we can't even compare it. But the writers, it's interesting, the New Testament, and he was crucified, and then they move on. Each one, I don't care which one you read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that's a thing. Then he was crucified, and he move on. And then they say the two others with him. And then it tells us, listen, it says one on his right hand, one on his left. And then it says in verse 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Does that kind of blow your mind that the Son of God is about to be, in my mind, murdered, although it was legal. He's about to be murdered, although Jesus says, they didn't kill me, I gave up my spirit. But listen, that's going down, and you think about it, and what does he do? Everything that's happened to him has been illegal and done wrong, and what does he say? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is so like us, isn't it? It was sarcasm. Right? What's the first thing we think of? Father, fry them. Right? Burn them to the ground. Get rid of them. And it's interesting, Jesus prays this, and I know some people get real uptight with this prayer, and Jesus prays this, but here's what's sort of interesting to me is you can check out later on, you can look up and read Acts chapter two, chapter, uh, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, chapter six. And as you read those, here's the thing. Jesus just says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In just a short time, 3,000 of these people are going to be saved in Jerusalem. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And then the next event, 5,000 are saved. And then in Acts chapter 6, it tells us many of the leaders were saved. Do you think this prayer had some effect? Of course it did. Listen, Jesus understood the most important thing is not, listen, not holding grudges and not doing anything. The most important thing is the salvation of souls and people to get saved. So, Father, forgive them. And I don't think it's just like a, a, a weird thing that, that uh, he's just saying he's sincere. He wants them forgiven. And then it says this, and check out, they divided his garments and cast lots. Now, most of us know that, right? Here's the thing that sort of bugs me. 
That day, many of the soldiers went home with a trinket, with a souvenir to remember that day. They didn't go home with Jesus. They went home with a souvenir. You know, that happens in a lot of churches. People come and worship and they just leave with a souvenir. Maybe they get a little something and, and you, you just kind of leave home. I, re, I remember the, you know, the Orthodox church I went to, you know, Palm Sunday, you got a little palm branch. And on, you know, on, on Easter Sunday, you might get a, some little something. You go home with a souvenir. That's not what this is about. The soldiers went home with souvenirs. Those who mocked him and made fun of him. And so we need to understand that. So they leave, and then verse 35, it says, and the people stood looking on, but even the rulers sneered, saying, hey, he saved others. Let him save himself. If this is the Christ, the chosen of God, and the soldiers mocked him, coming and offering him wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And then there was an inscription written over him in, uh, in letters in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, the king of the Jews. So all four accounts make a, make a point of bringing this up, that there was this plaque that was there that described who he was. Some of them, you know, give us a little bit more detail and some less detail. But listen, there was this plaque that declared that Jesus was the king of the Jews. If you remember, someone went to Pilate, the leaders, and they said, no, don't write that, write he thought he was the king of the Jews, or he claimed to be. So, pretty intense time, right? And I know we're kind of going through this quick, but I don't think we need to like focus on this part. So Jesus is on the cross, and then we have the salvation of one of the criminals, right? Then one of the criminals, in verse 39, one of the criminals who was hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Now, here's what I find interesting. According to this stuff you read, being crucified was pretty excruciating. And bottom line, you died from suffocation. You died from suffocation because you got so weak you couldn't push yourself up to breathe because you were hung like this, and eventually your lungs couldn't couldn't expand enough to get air and you couldn't do things and you would suffocate. That was the whole point. It was one of the cruelest ways to execute people and the Romans made, you know, uh, uh, perfected it compared to others and made it as excruciating as possible. But in this, I'm thinking this guy's in this excruciating pain, difficult breathing, can't do things and he comes up with this. He starts telling Jesus Hey, if you really are who you say you are, why don't you save us? I'm thinking, that's, man, that's dying, uh, like, under stress, right? This is a guy going, I'm not going to repent no matter what, right? He's determined not to accept what Jesus is doing, so he's mocking him. And then the other one, here's something, now you got these two criminals, and most of the, most of the information we have is Jesus is here. It says one on his right, one on his left. So they're kind of hollering past him, right? Having this conversation. The one says, save yourself. The other one says, what are you, a moron? <laughs> says it a little bit different. But he says, listen, the other one rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? He says, what's the matter with you? He says, We're, and then he goes on, right? We indeed, uh, we, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of the deeds, 
but this man has done nothing wrong. Do you hear what this guy's saying? I deserve to die. Usually you don't hear that, right? Most criminals I found, most people in jail don't belong there, according to them, right? I didn't do anything wrong. And you hear that. This guy's saying, dude, we deserve to die. And why are you picking on him? He's done nothing wrong. You know that me and you, maybe they were partners in crime. I don't know. But he's going, we deserve what we're getting, but not this man. How did that guy know? What happened to him that he realized at that moment who Jesus was? I believe that's the Holy Spirit working in that guy's life, right? And I believe the Holy Spirit was working in both their lives, but you make a choice. And the Holy Spirit in this guy goes, hey, we know, and then, listen, I, this is one of my favorite things. Verse 42, it says, then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I love that. This guy is calling out, right? Hey, I want to know you. Where did he come up with all this theology, where did he come up with the theology that Jesus had a kingdom? How did he find all that out? I don't think it was instantaneous that moment on the cross. Obviously, he had heard stuff about him. There was stuff, this tells me, there was stuff circulating, right, in Jerusalem about what was going on. There was buzz. People were talking about it. It was all over Facebook. It was all over Twitter. It's on TikTok. People are doing things. They understand what's going on. So all of that was happening, and this guy gathered that information, and here's what he's saying. Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to be in your kingdom. I'm not liking what I did with my life, man. I have messed my life up, and I'm not liking it. So I want to be in your kingdom. And, and listen, man, that's intense, isn't it? And then Jesus said to him, here's what I love, man. Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you hear what Jesus just said? I'm not going to remember you. I'm going to take you with me. Is that good or what? Isn't that awesome? Hey, I'm, it's not about just remembering. It's because Jesus loves us. And there's that intensity. And he's not just going to remember us. He's going to take us. And he tells this guy, man, I'm going to take you. I don't know about you guys, but I think that, I think that guy died kind of happy. Right? I think the other guy was a little bit miserable. I think this guy is, whoo, let's go. Right? Let's get this over with. Let's go for it. So don't you love that? And Jesus says, listen, Jesus tells him that. And then it tells us in verse 44, now it was about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the land or over the earth until the ninth hour. So again, you can do the time however you want to do it. I think we're going from 12 to 3, from 12 uh, uh, in the afternoon to 3 p.m. I think that's the time frame we're looking at. And it says, darkness came over the land. A lot of people say, well, it was a full moon. Oh, and it does tell us, listen, verse 45, then the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was ripped in two. A lot of people say, not a full moon, a, a full eclipse. That's what people say. Well, that was an eclipse. Here's the problem with that. Couldn't have been an eclipse. How do I know that? Because I studied When was Jesus crucified? Passover. When's the Passover? Full moon. 
You can't have a full moon in an eclipse. It can't happen. It's impossible. And so you put that together. That was not, listen, it's a good answer. I think, I think sometimes, you know, we have to give reasonable answers to people. People have some questions, and, and sometimes we go, it just wasn't, that's why. That's not a good answer. When people ask you a question, we need to have a reasonable answer. How do you know it wasn't an eclipse? Well, I know it wasn't an eclipse because I know it was on Passover. And I know Passover is always on the full moon. And if it's a full moon, it's impossible to have an eclipse. Just do the study. Find out. Look and see. You can't have it. How come it went dark? What's one of the plagues that God did over Egypt? Darkness. Doesn't he have control of things? Can't he turn the sun on and off, so to speak? Kind of weird thinking, but yeah. And he made it dark. Why was it dark? Because of what was happening. When we begin to understand the spiritual aspect of what was going on, hey, the physical, heavy. Spiritual, wow. Why was there darkness? It was because the Son of God is taking the sin of humanity upon himself, and he's being separated from the Father that's why it went dark. Oh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But then it tells us, listen, in the temple, the, the, the uh, uh, veil in the temple was torn in two. Other uh, uh, gospels tell us that it was torn in two from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom up, which means God tore it, right? What's going on there? Well, now the Holy of Holies is open to everybody, Right? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not, now we're not separated from God. Now we're brought in and we can go into the Holy of Holies. So all of that takes place. And then it tells us that, uh, verse 46, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed his last. So once again, they didn't kill Jesus. Jesus chose now, in Mark, it tells us he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did it go dark? Because when Jesus took our sin, the Father had to turn his back on him. That had never happened in all of eternity, ever. The Father and the Son the first person of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity have never been separated from all of eternity. Do you know how long that is? That's forever. Never happened. Can you imagine the emotion and the heartbreak going on at that moment as that separation had to take place for Jesus to pay for our sin? Had to take place. When he became sin, the father could look on him no more. No wonder it went dark. I'm kind of shocked. Well, it even says there was, there was a bit of a shaking going on, right? An earthquake. Why? Because this is intense. And when you think about Jesus taking that our sin, he took the sin of the entire world upon himself and paid the price for eternity. This is why he has to be God. Only God in a moment and an instant of time can take my sin, my eternal punishment in that moment. And it's eternal. So that's what's going on at that moment. And that's why he cries out. And then it tells us, listen, then it tells us, right? He says, having said this, he breathed his last. Oh, John tells us, he says one more thing. Most of us know this, right? 
What did he say? It is finished. To tell us die. It is finished. What was Jesus saying? Not his, listen, not his life. What was finished? Our redemption. It's done. Yes. Hallelujah. And so that's what we're looking at when we, when we get to this. So, hey, he does that. And then you gotta love, you gotta love verse 47. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Don't you love that man? Here's this guy. He's supposed to be there to make sure he dies. And he goes, yes. I think one of the other gospels even says, this is the son of God. Listen, this guy's heart was changed at that moment. When he saw what went down, it changed him. And then, verse 48, the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. So here's what I tell me. The other people are just like bummed out because he died, right? And they're going back. I think that centurion is standing at that, that cross. And I don't think Jesus, you know, most of the stuff we have, he's like way up there, right? You kind of always have the pictures where everybody's gathered and he's way up. I don't think he was probably this far off the ground. I don't think he was way up or way high. I mean, that would be ridiculous trying to, you know, just physically do all that. I think he was just barely off the ground. But can't you see the centurion is just standing there in awe of what just happened? And the people who had no clues spiritually, they're just going around bumming because a good man died. Jesus did not die as a martyr for us. Jesus took our sin and paid the price for our sin. That's what it's all about. And he redeemed us by doing this work. So the others went away. Oh, and then it tells us this. So you have all of this scene going on, verse 49, but all of his acquaintances, who is that? That's the disciples, right? These are the people who are close. His acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Hey, at least they were there, right? They're standing back a little bit. They're watching. They're trying to take it in. I think, again, they're bumming out. Nobody knows Sunday's coming, they know Friday's happening, but nobody knows Sunday's coming. And so they're all in that. And then here's the, I, we, can't, we can't not read this part. Verse 50, now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member in a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. So here's the thing. This Joseph, oh, well, let me read where he's from. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. You have this guy, Joseph. This is the first time we hear about him. And he's in all four Gospels. And you have Joseph, and then, if you know, there's another guy with him, Nick. But here's Joseph. Did you pick up on what it said? He was part of the council. But he didn't agree with what they were doing. If you read your Gospels carefully, they had a unanimous decision to crucify him. So here's what this tells me, or to turn him over to Pilate. Here's what this tells me. Joseph was out of town during the meeting. It's always convenient to have business meetings that you know somebody's going to oppose to that's on the business team. Hey, why don't you take a trip? And then we can vote, and it can be unanimous. So Joseph wasn't part of that. And now you have this guy, and some people call him and Nick, 
Nicodemus? Because he's there, they call them, you know, the undercover Christians. I kind of get that, but here's the thing. All of the bold and brash disciples, where are they? They're at a distance. The timid and kind of unsure Christians, where are they? They're at the cross. They want to come and get him. Nicodemus and Joseph, that's amazing. And Jesus had told Nicodemus, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And now Nicodemus has got to be remembering John chapter three in his head as they're at the cross, right? So they go and, and, and then it tells us that, uh, that, you know, they were waiting for the kingdom of God. And then in verse 52, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. That had to be really weird. That had to be a weird time for Pilate. Like here's these guys, hey, can we take him off the cross? Why? We usually just leave those guys up there and let the buzzards get them. Or maybe throw them in an ash heap. We don't care about them. They're criminals. We want him. Can we get him? I kind of like that scene. Don't you wish, don't you wish at times you could go back and see the real thing? Not, not the, the drama or whatever's going on with whatever drama's happening, but the reality of what was happening right then. So they ask him for the body. Verse 53, it says, Then he, or we should say they, took it down, wrapped in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rocks where no one had ever lain before. I think this was probably either Joseph's or Nicodemus's tomb. And, you know, it tells us in, in uh, Isaiah he's going to be buried with the rich. And these were rich guys. They had, a, they had a wealthy tomb. And somebody said, man, they gave up their tomb. And the joke is, well, they knew he only needed it for three days. So not a big deal, Right. Be empty again, they get it back. So I don't know about that. I don't know if that's what they were thinking. But man, they take him and, and they care. They carefully, they, they apply all of the aloe, all of this stuff. They put him in the tomb, put a rock over it, and you can read the other accounts. And then it says, verse 54, that that was the preparation, or that was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew, or that day was the preparation, the Sabbath drew near, Verse 55, and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after and they observed the tomb and how his body laid. Then they returned and prepared spices of fragrant oils and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So there we have, kind of quick, but I want us to understand Jesus really died. He didn't just almost die. He completely died. And one of the ways we know is the way the body was taken care of. These guys wrapped him. They anointed him. Hey, you put all that stuff on. The guy's not going to survive that. So now the rest of the story, and we'll pick up chapter 24. We'll probably pick it up in verse 13. We'll look at Sunday. So you got to come back. So just like, listen, in reality, Jesus went, these guys had to wait. They didn't know. The ladies, they're going to wait a day, right? They're not going to do anything until after the Sabbath. So chill out. Today's Thursday. Tomorrow at sundown, the Sabbath starts. Take your time on the Sabbath and come back Sunday for what really happened and find that empty tomb. All of that is because God loves us. 
And tonight we're going to come to his table. And we're coming to celebrate, not just to do a ritual and drink a little juice and eat some bread, but we're coming to celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ went to the cross, paid the price for our sin, and now tonight we have the privilege of celebrating that and understanding how great our salvation is and what a great God we have because he's not dead, he's risen. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. And Lord, just as we look at this and we think about what went on that day and just, number one, I think just the abuses of power and the abuse of the legal system and all of that, but even greater than that, that you willfully went along with it not to be a martyr, but to be our savior. And Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for this thing we call salvation. And I pray that right now, tonight, as we come to your table, that we would understand what a great gift we have and what a tremendous blessing it is to come, drink of this juice, eat of this bread in honor of what you've done for us. So we do want to express our hearts as we come to your table. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.